Uh, are we going to do what we've been playing lately as well? I'm very curious to see what inspired you to play uh, Empire of Sin, Matt. That's <laughs> my number one question of the pod. I don't, I don't, as much as I love Ragnarok, I really just want to know what inspired you to play a game that's got a 40 on Metacritic. <laughs> <laughs> when I decided to shelve it, I looked it up and I saw the score. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Jack's, Jack's going to give me the fucking earful about this one. <laughs> I was like, oh, this looks kind of cool. I checked out some of the screenshots. I was like, oh, yeah. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to Couch Co-op, our audio book club where we discuss video games. My name's Matt. I'm joined by Jack and Dave. And today we are going to discuss our part two of God of War Ragnarok. But before we dive into that, we have a couple of house cleaning moments here, boys. Uh, First and foremost, Game of the Year awards. We're not going to dive too far into it because we like to do our end of the year special where we kind of review our top games of the year. And it's basically impossible to discuss the winners of the Game of the Year awards without kind of revealing which way we're leaning here. So in lieu of that, we're going to focus on the gameplay trailers that were released. So first and foremost, boys, any games that really jumped out of you of the various titles that showed trailers? Uh, Jack, you want to start us off? It was kind of a roller coaster for me because uh, I was at work during the Game Awards. I didn't get to watch it live, but I jumped on afterwards just to see like the you know major announcements after a Plum shot me a text. Uh, but Earthblade got like an official trailer uh, as opposed to just more of like a sneak peek, which they did release a few months ago. Uh, for those who don't know, Earthblade is the newest uh, game from Extremely OK Games. And their uh, Matt or Maddie makes games uh, were the developers of Celeste, uh, one of my favorite games of the last 10 years. And so... I was just really excited to see that they got an announcement. I was like, it's coming, it's here. Um, and then the roller coaster, you know, started going up because then I looked and saw the ETA was 2024. Like, God damn it. Since when do indie games announce, <laughs> announce their release like over a year in advance? This is a, uh... so um, trailer looked, I mean, it, it was a trailer uh there's nothing that really like blew my mind about it because you know this pixelated art uh while a lot of my really games i really enjoyed have been the pixelated art it's not like a visual style that like just upon gazing at it like brings me back to that old school you know i never had a snooper nintendo um so for me the proof will be when i get to play that play that gameplay loop and, and see where it goes but um yeah, something to look forward to, even if it's over a year away. Uh, how about you, Dave? Uh, was there any single one that jumped out of you more than any other? Uh, I got pretty stoked about Super Giants reveal, you know, and the the kind of what was I seeing in front of me. But the music was such a dead giveaway where I was just like, "Wow, this sounds so much like Hades." and and I know they tend to keep their same staff over and over again. So I'm like wondering if things are getting recycled. And in a sense, some might say that they are getting recycled, but <laughs> uh, Hades 2 was revealed. And I'm actually pretty stoked because, 
you know, super giants on my radar now. And I ended up loving Hades. In fact, I kind of, I'm on my way to planning the PS5 version of it. So, um, and you already have the PS4 platinum. Yeah. Track. So it'll be my, <laughs> my first double platinum, you know, on a game. Probably not the hardest one, but still, it kind of shows how much fun I have with it. Matt, um, should, we, should we tell Dave that you can automatically load up trophies by jumping? <laughs> oh, maybe not from PS4 to PS5. Yeah. Either way, uh, you know, I, they showed some gameplay, and yeah, they're, you know, the same. I think overall structure is going to be similar, but I think there's going to be some new mechanics. I don't expect them to just, you know, be happy with taking the old label off the jar, putting a new one on and trying to resell it to, uh, you know, the people. But this features his sister, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I imagine there's going to be some spin to it. So um, I immediately started sending uh, review review bomb text to you guys, because as excited as you are, I was probably equally disappointed. Supergiant, they've always excelled at like keeping their style but creating a completely different, a completely different game, different mechanics. I mean, they've gone from real time strategy to sports and pyre. They got turn based, and then they had this awesome roguelike dungeon crawler. So I'm kind of confused that they're jumping right back into the. I mean, based on the trailer, it looks like the, the same, same game with different, you know, different moves, different characters. But uh, Matt, what was your kind of? Uh, yeah, I'm glad we're pausing on this one because I'm right in the middle, to be honest. Like, I, while I agree with you 100%, Jack, like, I was actually kind of put off by the thought of seeing Supergiant actually take a step back from innovating and seem to rest on their laurels with saying, hey, we built an engine that we like and we're just going to run with that and basically make a direct sequel, which is something up until this point they haven't done. Um by that same token, a lot of what we discussed when we reviewed um, Supergiant games, with the exception of maybe Pyre, is that really all of their previous games were building up to creating this engine that was a blast to play with in the original Hades. Uh, we all loved it, you know, playing it through the first time around. And, you know, it's hard to imagine why they would want to abandon that when, you know, they're on top of the world, essentially, in terms of this tier of gaming. Um, and, and it's guaranteed sales. Um, the other aspect to it that from the trailers, it, it looked damn fun. I mean, Hades was super fun to watch, uh, you know, when you weren't playing it, like just to see trailers or seeing other people playing through it or your buddies and just seeing the trailer of the action with all the new movesets. Like it definitely looked like that's something, you know, I'd be curious to give a shot. I uh, can't say that I'm going to line up day one to check it out or anything. And uh, I do have to say that, you know, there is a part of me worries that it's not going to have the same charm that the original Hades had because so much of that was built up from just kind of establishing these characters and having so much time running through with them that you gain these relationships with them. I don't know if I'll have the patience for a direct sequel. Because if it's just going to be a similar sort of gameplay and all that, I don't know that I'd want to run through it the 10, 20 times it takes to get all the achievements and everything and hear every bit of dialogue. So um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but we'll see. I'm putting on my conductor's hat, baby. Hype train. Let's do this. I, I, I don't know. 
I'm just stoked that maybe, you know, I don't, it's not like I want to see Aphrodite again, but if I can get that kind of quality of character, you know, building that the game has, I'm more than happy to learn about the other half of the pantheon that, you know, you'll be dealing with and what their quirkiness is and that kind of stuff. Um, and like I said, I, I suspect that a lot of mechanics may be different enough to where, yeah, you know, you're still running like and still dodging and you're still hitting like X triangle or whatever, but it's very much so like could be very different effects. So who knows? Um, I'm just going to stay optimistic. Uh, I didn't learn my lesson from Cyberpunk 2077. So, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to self abuse. <laughs> I don't know how you make that comparison. I mean, oh, just hyping something up before you know you actually get it. But I don't know. After the one-two punch of Pyre and Hades, I just there's nothing this studio could put out that I wouldn't check out, including Hades too. I probably will be there day one. Um, although PlayStation here, so who knows? We might have to wait, you know, a year like we did for Hades. Um. But I don't know. I just was really excited to see what kind of idea they came up with next. You know, Pyre was just such a unique game in that they incorporated all their all their characters and and creativity with like this weird funky sport. And um, yeah, I don't know. Disappointed. Well, um, we'll see what happens. Put a pin in that one, Jack, because I think some of those themes are going to come back in our later conversation, too, with the main title here. So um, I'm definitely curious to see that more of that logic, because I, I share a lot of your sentiment with um, game studios just kind of trotting out, you know, an upgraded version of previous iterations rather than going for the innovation these days. Um, but I'll also say that I'm also an older gamer who can has more time to complain about such things but um it, it also to be fair one of the games that grabbed my attention and maybe it was because i was out running errands when the game awards were go- taking place so i was getting updates on the phone and one of the ones that actually caught my attention and forced me to stop what i was doing while i was shopping for groceries was the dead sale cells um dlc with a castlevania crossover which I thought was pretty cool just because I recognized the particular iterations of the Castlevania characters they're representing, which are from some of the lesser known titles. In particular, um, the two main characters appeared in the tri or in the uh, trailer came from a Sega Genesis game that wasn't very popular over here to my understanding. And then the main Dracula big bad was from the original PlayStation uh, Castlevania. So it was kind of a cool callback to a lot of characters I remember from gaming. Dead Cells, I haven't played yet, but it's on my list and actually probably will take care of um, shortly after I get over this God of War hangover. But um, I'm excited about that one just because I'm a sucker for some of these cross promotions when it deals with kind of these more niche characters that only like big fans of series would really appreciate seeing you back. Jack, Dave, you have any other ones? We made it around the horn without talking about the From Software drop, which is hilarious because pretty sure Elden Ring is going to be on uh, next next pod we drop after this will be our game of the year. And I'm pretty sure Elden Ring is going to be on all, all three of our uh, short list for game of the year. And yet we just made it around the horn without without mentioning uh, Armored Core 6, which 
Um, I don't have a whole lot of history with this, so I'll, I'll pass it off to you guys to kind of break down a little bit more about what this game is and how it fits into the From Software. Uh, yeah, Matt and I had a discussion about this because we both played the game when it first came out on the original PlayStation. So for us, you know, to see that there's going to be a reiteration of this series, and I didn't play all the other ones in between, so, and there's there's a few of them that have, you know, been put out, like to play it on the PS5 and after what <clears throat> From Software has established over the last decade with their ability to um, allow really intense PvP battles, like I'm super interested to see what this is going to be about. I remember this game being difficult and this some Matt and I both found in common was that you could build your own mechs, like they can be designed in so many different ways but you know which ones are effective and you know the thing is some things work well with others that don't so that that was a great thing about that game from what I remember I'm not sure what they've developed up until you know six but I'm hoping that it's more the same now that I'm a bit older I probably will have more of the patience to really invest into designing a robot that's you know going to be or an armored core that's going to be effective um yeah no i I remember you know like dave said i played this on the original playstation as well when it came out um this was one of those titles in classic from software fashion that was incredibly hard uh but it was before that became a thing that you kind of accepted when you were going into it like i i believe i rented from a blockbuster video when it came out and it was one of those where it was like cool fighting mechs and you know missiles and shit like that this should be fun and then you play it and you get through maybe the first two levels and then after that's damn (laughs) impossible to play through unless you really know what you're doing yeah unless you have like a master's degree in engineering (laughs) yeah which should be included on the cover of the the game (laughs) yeah um i'm excited that they're reviving this one in particular because i think this is great timing for them because the studio again is is you know they just one game of the year with Elden Ring. Like they can almost do no wrong. So this is house money. So why not, if you're going to try to revive an old IP that you have that, you know, from what I understand was relatively successful in Japan, uh, bring it out, slap your name on it. And who knows, you know, I'm sure they've been mulling over all sorts of different gameplay things to introduce to it with new technology and all that, that now they probably have the time and finance to do so. So uh, I'm excited to see how this goes. Um, and I also sneaky, uh, tinfoil hat theory, but I think some of this PVP stuff that's coming up with Elden Ring, I think is being utilized as a lot for parameters in order to implement into this one, uh, in terms of juggling kind of different manners in which the structure and when you have all sorts of shit flying over the screen and, you know, what your limit for amount of characters on screen and all that before it causes it crashes. So I, I have a sneaky suspicion that they're, they're, farming data in doing the pvp arenas largely so they can make sure that this title has a really good engine from launch well matt i mean you're you share a similar sentiment to me that osakiro and elden ring are just freaking classics and so this is another day one for me you know um pretty cool that these reveals i got three games that i'm incredibly excited about well i was gonna say uh the guy that's 
directing on record six directed second so you know maybe that's maybe that's a little yeah. bit of a hug for you my my only disappointment was i still held on to a sliver of hope that they were going to release some Sekiro dlc or you know more likely like a even a sequel i would love a, a sequel to Sekiro, as, as hypocritical as that is for my hades 2 slander <laughs> but um but i don't think we're gonna get it now not anytime soon so um but you know what Big ass robots made by you know one of the the AAA studios that handles scale and and monstrosity so well. I can't imagine this is going to be anything but just badass, and I'm really looking forward to it. Good deal, Dave. You have any other ones that hop, popped in front of your mind on this? Death Stranding too. <laughs> i was gonna bring that one up because i i did want to get your guys thoughts on that but um if, were there any other titles before we dive no, into i that? suggest you take it away then all right um i have to ask boys what'd you think did you watch the trailer for death stranding 2 i did not i did what'd you think dave more the same <laughs> The only reason I ask is, like, I've already told you guys numerous times throughout these recordings and off air, countless times, don't play Death Stranding. It sucks. It's a walking game. You don't do shit. It's boring as hell. It's beautiful, but that's about it. Um, Then you see these trailers, and the one thing Kojima does is he packs so much crazy shit into them that you're just watching it, and it's like, I want to see what happens next. (laughs) Like, I'm so intrigued by this universe you've created even though I played through the first game and it was absolute gobbledygook of, you know, nonsense, but it looked pretty cool in the trailer. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you see a movie trailer that is like 10 times better than the movie itself. And that that's where I'm kind of at with his stuff. I'm, I'm curious to see if he listens to feedback with this one um, at the very least introduces more combat elements because with the first game, it was completely Kojima and, un, un, you know, unchained. He could do anything he wanted. And one of the big things that he really did was focus on making a really pacifist oriented game, which is neat. And in a lot of ways is at the heart of Metal Gear Solid uh, with the way the gameplay is designed, where you're kind of supposed to avoid combat and it rewards you for not killing anybody or for avoiding combat throughout. Then he went all in with Death Stranding and basically made it where you could tell he basically said, oh, we don't even need combat. And then at the last minute, one of the developers is like, you should probably add some guns because people are going to get really bored really quick. So he tacked in some gunplay that like has nothing to do with the gameplay for the most part. It shows up so sporadically and rarely that... Um, so, I mean, you add an element of action, at the very least, it becomes a more tolerable experience. I'm not going to play it, but I'll probably watch some recaps online. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that two of the other characters were similar or the same characters from the first game, right? Like uh, the lady with the short hair who was like at the forefront of the trailer. And then you got, I'm thinking a villain at the end who's singing on the guitar, like doing a little number song. I think that's Troy Barker's character, right? Yeah, he played the main villain in the or, first one, too. Troy so. Baker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I, the French actress, uh, Leila Sadu, I want to say her name is. And then, uh, obviously, you know, 
Daryl from Walking Dead, but uh, the main character from, or at least one of the bigger characters, I understand, is uh, Dakota Fanning's sister, uh, who's been appearing in some movies. Um, I forget her first name, but but similar kind of you know role, you know, young blonde actress. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I'm more interested in watching it than playing it. And that's not really the type of game I get into these days. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that was about it for me. That really kind of captured my attention. So. I mean, I think you said best, Jack, that there's already at least three titles, probably two and a half. They're on the list of like, I, you know, we all show strong amount of interest in playing day one, if not immediately day one. So that's saying a lot. And honestly, I am intrigued. I haven't watched the trailer yet as well, but from my understanding, there was also one for um, a game made by the same folks who did Bioshock as well. Um, I, for, again, don't have the <laughs> information on it because, you know, I haven't watched all of the trailers that released, but of the ones that I have caught up on, I think we've discussed them all. So if you boys are ready, we can proceed in the next phase here of catching up on what we've been playing for the past couple of weeks since we put down God of War Ragnarok. Um, Dave, you want to start us off? Oh, I've I've gone into like recycle mode because uh, <clears throat> XOXO, like once reunited, there, a small window of opportunity opened up for X going to give it to you. So he made his appearance. Uh, we put on some Rocket League and we played some NBA 2K and uh, we played some Spider Heck. So uh, it was a pretty good time uh, getting X going to give it to you back into the fold. Of course, he adds his own zaniness. Um, you know, you get the. <laughs> we had what... such a good laugh. <laughs> um, we heard the ruffling of a potato chip bag. At one point, and I think we all like had tears in our eyes from <laughs> laughing about that. So, but yeah, I, I put Battlefield One back on. I played a few games, and it's just—I'm just in love with the game. It's never going to change. So I always got to come back and jump on for a few matches. Yeah, the <laughs> XOXO. Uh, it always takes the perfect like events for us to re- reunite with our clan brother and uh you know a a, a medical uh a medical <laughs> surgery <laughs> combined with his wife leaving town was like the perfect storm to actually get to play some video games um but yeah dave you were <laughs> when the ruffle chips were, were crumbling and then i just see his rocket league car just sitting stagnant <laughs> and then we called him out we're like we're like oh no he's He's got the bag of chips. <laughs> and he goes, no, I'm still here. <laughs> he got a bunch of food still in his mouth. <laughs> and then we proceeded to get annihilated like eight games in a row. And uh, yeah, ended up in Silver League and Rocket League. That was, <laughs> that was humiliating. Uh, but good times, yeah. Um Dave, was that everything you've been playing lately? If if so, um... yeah, I just scaled it back. I think I'm going to get ready for. Okay, I'm going I'm to try to make like a platinum run for the first half of 23. Okay. So, because I thought kinda... you did play um, one game in particular. Speaking of platinums, that... oh yes, my apologies. Yeah, Astros. Uh, 
was it Astrobot, right? No, Astro's Playroom. Astro's, Astro's Playroom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a great time going through that. The platinum on that was so easy, and I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be fun end of the year cap to it. Um, there was like only a few moments of the gameplay that really were frustrating. It was it was the parts where you had to hop around? You know, it was like kind of a frog. That got annoying, but I ended up having to revisit that level so many times that it ended up becoming easy. Yeah, yeah, just a really fun, simple game that really shows off what that controller can do and the possibilities of it and how I kind of feel like a lot of studios really haven't utilized it to its fullest capabilities. Well, actually, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because when I jumped into that game, it was the very first experience I had with the haptic controller feedback. And I was like, whoa, stunned. But you, you've, you've had the PS5 for um, almost a year now. And so you're really kind of jumping in after you've experienced it with all these other games. Was it still kind of like a real like novelty to be able to experience all those different functions? Or, or was it more like, oh, I've, I've, I've kind of seen this to at least to some extent in other games? No, I felt like it was a really enjoyable experience. I feel like, you know, the controller is something you you don't look at it when you're playing video games and somehow like your brain, you know, we're just really good at, you know, being able to know where these buttons are through muscle memory and intuition and all that kind of stuff. So to add that extra dimension of sensory input, I think really adds a lot more value to the gaming experience. And I don't feel like I've really come across anything that has showcased it as strong as that game has. So uh, there might be some hints here or there, you know, but most of it has been on the trigger sensitivity as far as like how you're going to shoot, you know, or the intensity of shooting. But that, you know, that isn't the same as like feeling like the difference between running through water and tall grass or sand or something like that or mud, you know, which that game portrays very well. So. Cool. Uh, well, I've been playing um, a few different games. I checked out Gardens Between. That's my little uh, palate cleanser after Ragnarok. It was fine. Uh, you can check it out for free uh, if you got PlayStation Extra. But then I jumped over... Um, into stray and i did that specifically because i saw the game awards had nominated it for game of the year this is a game that i played the first half earlier this year and abandoned thinking it was not very good and after completing it i can confidently say my initial opinion was 100 correct uh i don't i don't really understand this one um it won indie game of the year at the game awards and it does some really cool things like the world they built is pretty neat um they really nailed the kind of jumping around as a cat and behaving um however the gameplay is just there's not much there and i don't understand like there's all these bubbling creative ideas out there every year that these indie studios are putting out and i don't know why you would reward something that just really feels like a toned back triple a title with um you know some cool graphics and very limited gameplay so I'm a little confused on that one. So, um, to Matt, you told me to check out the New Order a long time ago, and uh, Wolfenstein: The New Order. Um, this game was pretty cool. 
played it over the last week, beat it last night. And um, I got to say, like, the feeling of wanting to have a revolution and to kill a bunch of fucking Nazis is just, they do such a great job of getting you pumped up for just going on a tear in this game. Um, do you kind of remember your, your thoughts on this one, Matt? I, I, I really wanted to kind of chat with you about this a little bit. I felt, I don't remember it as well. What I'll say is I remember, I appreciate because it felt, kind of pulled back a bit from what they had done with the other Wolfensteins, which kind of leaned heavily into the just over-the-top, like, madness, which sometimes was great, sometimes was a bit heavy, especially given some of the subject matter. But uh, with this, it was kind of just right back to the roots of just, like, really reminding it's like, these people, these represent the worst people in existence, and you have free reign to just blow them to smithereens. And it's highly encouraged to do it in the most violent and terrible way possible. And, you know, it, it was a solid engine. I, I'll say all the Castlevania games I've, of the newer iteration, I've enjoyed uh, the combat. So, um, yeah, I, that's what I briefly remember of it. Um, well, I, play, I played these backwards. I actually played Colossus, the sequel, first. And I freaking really enjoyed that game. And I was always kind of confused why you didn't. But playing this, it definitely kind of shed a light on that because this one was way grittier, um, way just more built into like evolving these characters. And I mean, they are some badasses like uh, you're you're what becomes your lover. I mean, she is you don't you don't want to mess around with her. And just all these different characters have really solid motivations. Um, I will say the gameplay does did not age it's it's a rough play in 2022 playing this um 2014 shooter uh after coming off of like god of war ragnarok the bosses are just painfully like bullet sponge no nothing dynamic so that was a that was a it made me wish i'd played this game eight years ago because i think i would have gotten more enjoyment out of it the game as a whole as it is, I really respect what they did. I think they just just nailed like this feeling of of wanting to overcome something and, and to charge in and just yeah, go ham. But uh, gameplay really held it back in my in my. But you know what? Another free one, um, and uh, can't argue with that. I'll say too now that I'm remembering it more because I get confused because there's Back for Blood, and then there's. New Order and New Order was the original one. So when I'm thinking more on New Order, um, that one, two things like first off, that decision you have to make in the very first stage is one of the more like ingrained as my head is one of the more fucked up moments in video games I've experienced. And honestly, like I was haunted after make having to make that decision because it, it fucks with you. Like you you think about it and the fact that it carried over to Colossus too later whichever decision you ended up making so um there was that factor and then also yeah it's it's gritty as all hell like it's very dark whereas colossus like i said it it was harder i I appreciate you you talking about playing it in reverse because if i had just seen colossus and thought that was the universe they built i would probably think it was amazing because it is just that tarantino over the top nonsense like just fun but when you go back to new order, like it very much was very serious, very dark, very gloomy. I mean, but 
there's something pretty badass about the narrative of your character just being in a coma while the whole world goes to hell under Nazi rule and then breaking free of that and just his only only thing he's concerned with from here on out is destroying every Nazi encounters from here on out. So, um, you know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, there's no other way to put what I also remember with new order is that very first level when you're actually in control is very difficult because of the enemies you're facing. I believe there was a giant mechs. And I remember it wasn't as easy to figure out what you were actually doing because it takes a particular way to disable these particular enemies. And then you almost never see them again for the remainder of the game. So like, I do remember that pissed me off a lot getting into the gameplay. Um, I'm sure it hasn't aged as well, because like you said, it's an eight year old game at this point, but um, I remember enjoying it a lot back when I played it. Um, however many years ago that was. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I'm, I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad you gave that like a solid review because I don't think I would have checked it out if you hadn't. So um, it was definitely worth like going into it and kicking it, kicking it around for a week. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, Matt, what, what have you been playing? <laughs> so in a list of games that you gentlemen should not play with your free time <laughs> in the future, because that's why the purpose I serve here being the dung eater to consume all these, these shittier titles to ensure, see if they're actually worth taking, taking a game. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked up romance of the three kingdoms 13, which is a title that I've always like kind of, held near and dear to my heart from the super nintendo era it's it's been a classic rpg series slash strategy game but in the earlier games like you really didn't know have to know shit and even though it's a historical context me and my friends would always get together and just try to kill everybody on the map so which (laughs) which is exactly what my friend and i did are you talking about romance of the three kingdoms three yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, this is thirteen. Oh, yeah. We played the same game in the same manner because that's yeah. what my friend, my friend and I would just sit there, like you know, with shit buckets, just like, all right, raise taxes, we're gonna go to war. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, like not never great games, ne- like way too overly complicated to figure out how to actually play them right. So you would just always figure out it's like, oh, here's how you go to war. Cool. Like here's how I can force this general to have to fight for my on my behalf. But but I, I've always been intrigued by these because of those experiences. So I picked up this one. This is another one that it's maybe on a PC it would be okay, but there's just too many menu options and it's a bit too slow. Um, it, it's dated. And again, like the historical figures is neat because I know nothing about ancient China and, you know, I'm not saying I'm learning much about ancient China playing the game, but the characters are recurring. So at the very least, you kind of get like the very, very basic overview of what they played in the kind of, you know, this period of time in history. So that's kind of neat, I suppose. But yeah, I, I hit a wall with that game pretty quick. Um, then I thought I could hop into another strategy game with Empire of Sin, which <laughs> Jack was so kind to remind me has a Metacritic score of what now? I think it's like 40. It's like, it was honestly like jaw dropping when I checked it out. So, yeah, I, I figured that out after I booted it up and played for a couple hours. Um, I was really hoping because it, it was portrayed to look like XCOM with gangsters. It was like 1920s vibe only with the XCOM engine. 
it's not. It, it's terrible. It, it honestly reminds me more of a phone game than anything, like where it's just kind of click a bunch of areas and people do things. I've got to ask. We we did our worst games of the year uh, a few weeks back. So does this take uh, does this take the uh, too dark spot you had as your as your winner, or or is too dark still your uh, worst game of the year? No, too dark's the worst game of the year because you know what I'll say with this one. I don't even know if I put it on the list because I actually enjoyed parts of it. It's just the issues I had with it were it's just bad programming. It's one of those games where once you commit to going to to war with a particular rival gang or whatever, you get locked into this series where if any, ever an enemy is anywhere on your screen, you're engaged in combat. So you're constantly being in combat. Then you kill the one enemy. Then you move two feet. Then another enemy appears. Like it just, it's poorly designed game gameplay in that regard. And then there's just too many things behind the scenes that you spend a bunch of time making all these menu decisions. And then it, doesn't really change the experience at all. So, um, you know, the guts were there. It had potential, but it, it didn't hold. I, I decide I'm learning from you, Jack. I reached the point where I was like, this is actually going to be problematic for my mental health to trudge along here. So I'm going to bail out now while I'm ahead. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> Another one I did that with as well was uh, John Wick Hex. Uh, similar hopped on it hoping it was kind of the XCOM just kind of strategy game it's not uh it's trying to recreate the type of combat that John Wick you know the Keanu Reeves character utilizes in the movies by making it slow and forcing you to kind of select all the different characters you shoot at in one sequence um it's slow it's really frustrating and ugly and just a shitty game so another one <laughs> pulled the plug on, which, you know, it's John Wick. So I was super hyped about for all of 10 minutes and then, you know, got, I think one trophy and called it a day with that. So um, now I picked up just cause four and just cause four. I'll have to say with this one, it's a stupid, stupid, stupid title, especially coming off of God of War Ragnarok. But in a lot of ways, because of that, it's almost the perfect palate cleanser coming off from it because it is so stupid and it is just so focused on just letting you just run rampant and not pay attention to any plot, any like ongoings. You can kill anybody on the screen, get blow up anything on the screen. Like it is just kind of nice to just be removed from like a very narrative driven game and one of the better stories I've experienced in a while to just full on just idiocy. And I have to say, I appreciate the title, too, because Just Cause, you know, is a really simple, stupid 80s action movie type of a name. But then when you think about the gameplay itself, it's really just just because you can do whatever the hell you want. Like, that's really the way it encourages you. It's the ultimate sandbox game in the sense that really you're just supposed to see, oh, if I attach this to this, does it blow up? If I shoot this, will it fall? Like, if I do this, like, it, it really wants you to just have fun in the environment not be concerned about warnings of enemies ganging up on you or, or, you know, random invasions. Like it, it's just go out there, have fun, blow stuff up. So I, I'm kind of appreciating it. Is this the one with natural disasters involved? Yeah, that's, that's the core of the, the plot. Okay. okay. Matt, you, you've overdosed on so much dung that you're, you're finding yourself like, Stockholm syndrome. You're you're starting to you're starting to appreciate the 
the dung that treats you just a little bit better, like just cause for. No, I, I think we should patronize them. It should be Saint Matt, the video game tester, <laughs> you know, or some stuff. The Saint of video game testers. That's that's what the critics are for. <laughs> I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for stepping on the landmines. I don't want. To. So. <laughs> as long as it's free it's it's worth a shot <laughs> so. but yeah so that's where i'm at like i said at the beginning of the podcast we're kind of dealing with the, the hangover following uh god of war ragnarok but let's uh dive into that boys we uh last <laughs> last we met up we kind of left off at the garb fight uh right leading up and getting into i think we had all just past the Heimdall fight, but didn't cover it in the last recording. So uh, it seems like a good start-off point. What did you think of uh, trudging through the jungle to eventually encounter Heimdall? Uh, Dave, you want to start us off? Um, I recall just kind of anticipating what was going to happen because you're you're pretty much going on a run to rescue uh, Freya's brother, Freya. And, you know, like, it's a matter of okay, we're going to assault the base to draw their attention and then everyone else is going to break stuff out. So from your perspective, it's kind of more the same that you've been doing for a little bit as far as like trekking through stuff. But uh, I would say the Heimdall fight was definitely the the focal point of that whole mission. Um, I I was really curious as to like how this was going to be handled because he kind of has a near omnipresent you know kind of like presence to him where if you swing he's gonna know your intentions so like how are you gonna hit this guy and then you know you recall that you have this super cool spear so you gave him the catch the spear and then i was like okay you detonate it and then um that's pretty much how you start to break him um jack do you have any inflection on getting up to that point i'm just so excited we're talking about god of war ragnarok so great I was squirming last last time we did the pod because I had just finished the game and all I wanted to do was talk about all this awesome stuff that happens. I had to wait two weeks because you fuckers. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got to say, a lot of stuff we're going to talk about today. Probably the least excited I am is the fight with Heimdall. I didn't I didn't like it um, for whatever reason. I just didn't it didn't feel like it had like the same sense of epic. Um, battle that that a lot of the game has um but i'll pass it off to matt because maybe he has something more uh inspiring to to talk, talk about um i see what you're saying the thing i appreciate with the heimdall fight was that it was that was his character like his whole thing was he could predict your movements so that's why he never had to fear anything and that's why he was such an asshole because he never had to fear any repercussions for anything he said Ray actions he committed so it actually was very on brand with the character they created for the game and that the fight was kind of boring because once you find a way to hurt him he's you know there's not much there because he's never experienced that himself um i also think that it's important because this is one of the first fights where like it reminds you just how powerful kratos is and that he is a god destroying warrior and so I think you're kind of intended to bully him throughout this kind of fight and really just like destroy him to kind of set the stage for your eventual, you know, ride into Ragnarok, which is very much on the horizon. So I didn't mind the fight. Like it, 
it's not a highlight. I mean, it's very much a, it felt like a very mini boss fight, particularly coming off the grand scale of Garm. But um, I actually kind of appreciate the unique way they did that for the narrative sake. I also think on the narrative sake, it really hits a big reflection on Kratos and like what he's trying to be as a character as opposed to what he was and how slippery that slope is for him to like easily go back into a stage of his life that, you know, he's trying to really put behind him. So, um, and that pays off further down the road and we'll talk about that, but you know, that was, that's, that's definitely a moment near the end of the fight too, where even Mimir, you know, had to, had to say something about it, you know, in the sense that, oh, you didn't have to do that, but it also kicks off, the rest of the story too you know so there's i think and then the fact that you brought up that the fight becomes easy once you know how to fight him and that's because he doesn't have to fight past that point is like a really huge like point to bring up and was i think pretty genius that you saw that i didn't see it at all and adds a lot more depth to that fight you know it's like you're fighting someone that can dodge everyone but kratos and now you know like he doesn't know what to do so Kratos ends up being able to take him out. So no, I don't know. I think the fight is pretty important, but kind of like in a sense pushed into the foreground because you know what's coming up and you know who else is, you know, above Heimdall and it's, you know, Thor. So Yeah, I think you touched on a really cool one there too, Dave, where because you're right, that that is the beginning stage of the kind of shift in Kratos, which is very much the theme of this game throughout is like, how does, how do they evolve this character as a whole from the God destroying warrior? I was describing from the original games to, you know, he, he clearly evolved into this, this father figure with just all the fears in the world in the 2018 game. Now, how do you evolve him even further and make him more complex? And I think that the Heimdall fight stands out to me in that regard too, that, it's the first time where you see a clear instance where in previous games, Kratos would have humiliated him and brutally tortured him and killed him in the most gnarly way possible for being so obnoxious. But in this one, he's very like much withdrawn from even wanting to kill him. Really. He's just like very much like just wants to like put him down so he can progress. And, and that was kind of, um, you know, obviously we know what ends up happening to Heimdall, but but it was one of those things where it was in previous games, it would have been just a very gnarly, brutal death sequence. And you wouldn't have thought anything of it because that's Kratos, but new Kratos. Now it doesn't, that's not his first choice. I'll say that. So, uh, so this sequence ends, I believe this is the one with the big chase uh, through the jungle uh, where kind of Kratos off the rails. Uh, what'd you think of this gameplay element guys? I, I thought it was awesome how Kratos just throws prayer over his shoulders and it's just like, we're getting the hell out of here. So um, I, it kind of like threw me off. It kind of felt like I was thrown back in that same instance where uh, Freya jumps on you on, the, you know, where you're sledding through the forest and I was just jamming buttons because I was just like, oh, there's so much going on right now. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And, you know, you see the R1 and the L1 and that kind of stuff and it just becomes ends up becoming a hoot. I thought it was hilarious um, and kind of like a, a really fun break from like what you had been doing up to that point. The thing that really stood out about me to me about this scene is, is you got, you launch off the, the waterfall with the boat 
And everybody's like, oh, yeah. And there's one guy on the boat who I don't have any clue who he is at this point. Like, they, they really haven't introduced him at all. And all of a sudden, these dragons start attacking you. And this dude who I have no history with just <laughs> pulls, like, this heroic moment where he's like, I got this, guys. And he just leaps off the ship, totally sacrifices himself. And what feels like it's supposed to be, like, this epic, like, moment of, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. But I'm just like, Who? I don't know. I just thought that was really funny for a game that did so much to like build these characters into who they were. They just have this one-off dude who you, you get to know a little bit later in the game because spoiler, he doesn't die, but um, they just give this one-off character, this like heroic moment. <laughs> just, it just made me laugh. I love that one too, because everything I just said about Heimdall, where there's all this thought about the narrative creation through the combat, goes counter to that with a stupid cutscene where it's like, you have all these characters, like the dwarves and all that, that have long range combat. You have a witch who can shoot stuff in bows and arrows, but yeah. the one guy with the giant sword who, who needs to like actually attach himself to the dragons, the one who steps up to go to take on this thing, like it made no damn sense. And you're right. Like, the only interaction you have with this character prior is him sitting around a bonfire and he refuses to talk to you. <laughs> if you try to talk to him and now you're supposed to be like, oh my God, he's such a hero. He just saved us all. Like I very much just kind of roll my shoulder. Like, well, at least we'll get away. <laughs> like, I think it even gets, it gets even better with him because you go on this like long quest to go rescue him. And I mean, this is like way later in the game. If you want it to be for me, it was, uh, it might've been post-game content even, but, uh, Adrius is like, how'd you survive the fall? And he's like, I think he's like, I rolled <laughs> and that's like it. So it's like, it's so contrary to everything else this game does where it like builds all these moments with like great foreshadowing and character development and just has this one-off character is just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think he's a traveler, like those yeah. guys that are like a pretty tough fight in the game. So uh, once I heard that part of him, I kind of, you know, eased up on it. But yeah, I was I was kind of like, oh, why am I saving this guy? <laughs> he hasn't really done much, you know, but still. Well, I did like the conclusion of his character and um, I'm assuming Matt got this far, but in the very end, you know, the uh, turtle, the big old turtle that got abandoned uh Freya's old turtle needed a new um care caretaker and and that's pretty much the role he volunteers for and uh ends up there to to you know provide uh warmth <laughs> <laughs> now um I'll say the one as silly as that whole sequence is it opens up a really cool part of the game too where now there's a new area to explore where you can go search and rescue him and essentially it's it's a wide open area to really just go and explore which came out of nowhere but uh what were your thoughts on that part gentlemen well i was really excited to ask dave about this but i'm pretty sure he hasn't done like two-thirds of the areas in that in that map so um dave you want to share your i mean you're the you're the uh, open world rpg master and that's really what i felt like this whole area was well, yeah, I realized that like the whole area is also just a giant puzzle. So that's was kind of like, you know, because utilizing the day and night cycle is like the key to figuring out what you need to do around there. So um, <clears throat> I think I went through most of it. I would say I'm probably four fifths done with it. There's probably some bunch of other stuff that, you know, okay. Um, 
Well, have you taken out any of the dragons that aren't like the main dragon? I think a few of them. Oh, you have. Okay. Well, then I stand corrected. I last I talked to you, you had not. But um. yeah, like I went south into the, like that hidden area and like kind of I think pretty much hit all the different spots through there. And you know, I went through the I guess the east side of the map and the north, and then you know got the river reestablished. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was like kind of one of those things where I was like at a point in the game where I wanted to progress through to the main story because I knew I was getting so close to it. And then I found this like side pocket that I was kind of like, I don't want to avoid it because I'd like to level up and this is probably going to be the best area for it. So yeah, I went through it kind of reluctantly. Um, there's just some parts of it where I was just like, yeah, I'm getting kind of a little bit bored of like this kind of fight, you know, and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I think uh, throwing the puzzle stuff onto it, once I figured out what to do, made it a little bit more interesting. Um, I wanted to go fight, uh, forget what it was, but pretty much summon in two like monsters that blow smoke and then they ignite that smoke and you're stuck on this tiny island. And I just remember that being a fight where I was like, I'm going to come back to it later. Um, yeah so but i mean generally the whole area is really well designed and after you reestablish the river through there and like kind of discover that hidden area down to the south um i i was like okay yeah this this area is really cool and the fact that they showcase it for you in that manner was pretty uh interesting and a, a good side pocket i think i probably would appreciate it more if i still plowed through the main storyline and then went back and did all that stuff so and that's what I did. I, I got through the, just a little bit of it before finishing the game. Um, I went back and I, I had taken some THC edibles and I spent so long lost trying to figure out how to get to the dragons, not realizing you had to release all the damn water. And so that was kind of a bummer. I mean, we're talking like two hours of me just meandering around, confused as all hell as to why my little GPS thing kept sending me to uh, no, to nowhere. Um, but yeah, once you open up the, the, the dam, I mean, really, really cool area. And and the other thing that area does is it, it has a whole like side narrative where you're discovering about this battle between your, uh, between your, your, um, wife Faye and Thor. And it's like this huge backstory that you wouldn't get if you, if you didn't go through there. So I thought it wasn't like the best, um, way they kind of told the story like through these ghosts who really didn't have a whole lot of character or charisma to listen to but it definitely offered some insight into what a badass uh your your old lady was uh which was pretty cool you know you brought up a couple of things there jack one uh i i think we touched on it briefly but i just want to reiterate the map in this game is shit <laughs> in my opinion the tracking um, I, that if I have one complaint, like big complaint, it would be that, um, only because this game is so vertical with so many other puzzles and so many of the things you need that those trackers just don't work like they do, um, for most normal games where you can get a general sense of like, oh, this is where I need to proceed to get to. Like with this one, there's too many external factors that throw it off. So I didn't enjoy that. Now, with that being said, I'll cover that up with a compliment for the game, which is to say, typically I'm, I skew away from the Metroidvania sort of thing, 
just because it almost needs to be a 2D thing. Like the game, the ones I want to play are like Hollow Knight, you know, because that is easier for me, I think, visually to track where I've been and what, you know, it's from, I think just playing video games for a number of years where like in the older video games, like each room had such a distinct look that it was easy to kind of figure out where you are. Typically in 3D worlds, I, I can't do it as well. They tend to start blending in and looking the same for me. So I have to compliment the God of War uh, Ragnarok game in general, just because in particular, it's it's on display in this open world section where like surprisingly, I was able to navigate pretty freely on my own and have a general idea where I was a lot of the time, despite having it be that 3D world and despite being you know, kind of in at times very, you know, a lot of it looking the same. Now, did I have moments where I was doing exactly what you said, Jack, where I was wandering around in circles for hours trying to figure out how to escape? Uh, in particular, there's one in the jungle where I was in a village, I believe it's Freya's village, where I couldn't figure out for the life of me how the hell to get out of it. And I was trapped in there for probably a good like half an hour to 45 minutes. My second to last Raven for my platinum. (laughs) I spent so long trying to get to the village and the GPS kept sending me into like totally wrong areas. So yes, I can definitely relate to the abandoned village. Uh, Yeah, no, that, that, that was one of the like maybe three instances where I actually had to like scour YouTube for like, Oh, the hell do I get out of here? And I actually found clips on it. So it tells Mm -hmm. me we're not the only ones that experience that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the open world part, it it does a good job of presenting it. Like you said, Jack, like it gives you some snippets that don't, it doesn't make or break the plot. Um, they're kind of neat, but you know, it's a minor reward to go through and, and get everything, but it also isn't necessary at all to experience the game itself. So I kind of like that in the sense that, you know, it's not for everyone. It's more for us that just kind of want to check off the achievement than, uh, for folks who really need to to feel like they're getting every bit of lore from the God of War universe. So, um, so following this area where you can fight dragons, explore, you know, uh, various different waterways and what have you, um, <laughs> this is roughly around the time, too, where you can start doing the Crucible challenges. Did you boys both go through the entire Crucible challenges? I touched base on one of them. Um, I think I got through like the first level of it or something like that. But yeah, I just, those are never really a highlight of the games for me and kind of something that needs to be done for the trophy. So I do want to get the plot for this game, but I'm kind of putting it at the end of the line of a bunch of other games that I started beforehand. So I'll get there. This game is really bloated. And usually it's a good thing because it kind of uses that bloat to like flesh out these characters and to really kind of build a, you know, backstory for all these different characters that, you know, you really grow attached to. And then there's these challenges and I got to say, I don't get what they were smoking when they decided you had to start going back to the previous challenges to unlock the new challenges so basically it's just like this, like, I don't know. It was, it was, I, I thought the structure of those were really bad, Matt. Um, what could have been kind of like this fun, like jump in really quick and, and, you know, get your butt kicked a couple of times before 
overcoming it were actually pretty easy by the time I got to them. But you had to go back so many times and just run the same garbage over and over again. Um, I, I thought it was a real miss in a game that did not miss very much for me. Yeah, there's one like recurring complaint I would have on this is that there's certainly content that's there just for content's sake. Um, not necessary. It doesn't add anything. Kind of what we were touching on with that previous area uh, with the dragons, but but just, even that previous area, like I said, they had the backstory with with Faye, which you didn't need to do, but at least it provided you know more. As this this was the absolute pinnacle of of wasting my time. Yeah, no, th- this part I had serious issues with. Um, the only logic I could think, and it's dumb logic to me, is that they were trying to force you to have to be leveled up because of the end, eventual end boss of the area is probably the hardest challenge in the entire game. So it's their way of kind of, I'm sure mathematically, it's their way of ensuring that you're at max level uh, when you have to face her in order to have like fair amount of armor and equipment to make make it a worthy fight but that's dumb logic to me like i said i I didn't appreciate these at all they didn't they weren't challenging they weren't interesting uh there was only like one that i found like particularly exciting the first time and that was i think one of the timing ones just because it kind of came down to the wire for me the first time i did it but yeah it, it was a real mist for me actually and really felt like just bloatware kind of like, oh, you're just going to chuck this in here to add an extra five hours to the gameplay experience if you want to get the platinum. So, Yeah, I kind of chalked this with all the other post-game content, and um, hopefully we can kind of touch more upon that after we finish the the core story, Uh, because there is some other cool post-game content that I I would like to get into. But um, guys, I got to ask you, there was a bar brawl in this game. And um, <laughs> I just want your opinions because it it didn't really feel like the rest of the game. And yet there was just something, at least for me, really charming and, and fun. Uh, and, and I wanted to know if, if you guys did not like it because of how corny it was, or if you did like it because of just how awesome it was. Uh, Dave, what, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. You know, I thought it was like just a really healthy break from like how intense everything had been building up to that point and kind of really touched base on, you know, a lot of, uh, what's his daughter's name? Dude? Uh, Dude and Thor's relationship, you know, especially, um, and this touches base on addiction, you know, like basically he had broken his addiction years ago, or at least he had subsided enough to like change so um you know for him to see him get back into a stage where he's causing this huge bar brawl you know it's like w- was quite a bit of fun and to see how like atreus and you know navigates through this entire thing um the, the very end part though was pretty dope i enjoyed that part matt yeah hey I, I go back and forth like i, I told you in the first recording like Atreus, like, a lot of his sequences feel like you're playing through a Disney movie where it's just, like, kind of this, like, very, like, bratty, like, teenager who can do whatever he wants with zero repercussions and somehow always comes out on top no matter how dangerous the circumstances. Um, 
that being said, I do really, I really appreciate the part with Thor. I thought that was a cool way to showcase kind of the traditional, from my understanding, uh, legend of Thor, which was that he was kind of this big bloated, like, kind of like angry, like very could turn on a dime, like in terms of his, his anger, like, which would lend itself to alcoholism for sure. Um, The bar fight, it's fun. It breaks things up. And I think actually it's important to have those sequences because if you don't do that well, when they add the next phase of happens with Atreus to the mix, it doesn't, it'll have a good impact on you because you go from this kind of happy go lucky Disney atmosphere to like a real solemn, dark area of time in his life. Um, you know, I, I think that's important because you lean too heavily on the dark. Um, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, especially for a game like this that is still establishing kind of that narrative side of like really introducing like a really like total kind of like balance of like you're a god smashing warrior but you also have these moments of pure tenderness and and just or emotional depth so it also humanizes like your opponents in a sense you know like they're not too far off from you really just being kind of manipulated by someone like they probably could have been decent people under the right atmosphere so i just look i'm a sucker for like these cutscenes that are spliced into action scenes the uncharted series you know um I, I just love when this is properly done but i don't know if i've seen slapstick to this particular extent and it was corny. Like half of me was just kind of like trying to say, what? Oh, "You can't enjoy this," but it was just so well done. Like the scene where uh, Atreus is getting strangled on the table, and then the other side of the table gets hit, and so they both flip up into the upper rafters, and then you know the hammer crushes a dude right as he's about. To, I don't know. I just thought they absolutely nailed it with the slapstick in this. And like you said, Matt, it it had to be well done because if it wasn't well done, it would have been oh man, it would have been such a bomb this game to like have this serious narrative and then you have this really silly goofy scene that didn't didn't hit for me it, for me it worked uh, but i was i was definitely curious to, um how how you guys kind of took it um yeah i i did like to the last thing i'll say is just with thor um just because again the game starts you off and it may, immediately makes it clear that you're going to square off with them as kratos you know at the end of the game so all these sequences with Atreus, like it is very nice getting this other side to Thor because, you know, he is a beloved mythical figure too. So it's, it's those moments that even though you're right, it's a slapstick comedy sequence in a lot of ways, it does have that layer of kind of like, you know, you, you do like Thor, like you want to root for him, even though, you know, when, you know, shit hits the fan, you're probably going to have to rip his throat out. So, um, I think it's an interesting wrinkle to add to, especially under the guise of more comedic beats rather than just having it always be intense sequences of, you know, cont- contemplative discussion around a fire or, you know, preparing for war. Like th- this was a good way of introducing it. So. Well, speaking of intense, uh, I mean, do we want to jump into the, the big twist of the game? I think it's time. I mean, you can't really explain Ragnarok without covering that. So, 
Um, did any did, did any of you guys see it coming? No, but <clears throat> you find out that they dropped some pretty big hints throughout the game. You know, uh, upon researching it, but yeah, that definitely moment uh, that moment caught me off. You know, uh, I didn't expect what went down to go down. I expected like some sort of debate or something like that, and then tear to move on. But you know, it kind of shows his true colors in this scene. Um, so, does anyone want to take the the emotional plunge on this one? I just wow. <laughs> For me, it was like holy shit moment. Um, because look, I, I was clear with you guys, like as we were shooting text to each other, like I enjoyed the character so much in this game, but I really hated Tears' character. Uh, he just didn't didn't do it for me at all. And I, I couldn't understand why. I was like, why is this character in here? Why is this character in here? But I didn't see the twist coming. And that, you know, obviously is that Tear is Odin. Um, Odin is Tear. He's been spying on you the entire game. That's why all these scenes with him supposedly trusting Atreus. Well, the whole time he just knew Atreus front and back what the motive was. He was manipulating him at one point earlier. He even um, calls him champion um, just to get, just to get a rise out of him, which, you know, eventually leads to the whole, um, uh, his whole departure and, and going to Asgard and Brock. I mean, come on, just one, like Brock had so many excellent scenes, excellent, you know, character development in this game. And the fact that it's Brock calling him out on the shit was so cool. Like, and he, he, he just, he just goes after him. He's like, this is, this doesn't make sense. Like just, um, and then, yeah, <laughs> boom, it happens. And, um, I don't know, Matt, were you kind of like, did it, did it hit you in the feels at all that scene or, or. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brock, Brock stole the show in a lot of ways in this game. I mean, he was just like so perfect for what he was. And you're right. Like the fact that it's him calling him out and it all makes sense. And Dave, you brought up excellent point. Cause I, I did the research too. And there are some huge hints dropped early on that, you know, obviously I didn't pick up on any of them with my first playthrough, but in hindsight, looking back, like even the part where tear calls uh, Freya Frigg was a huge one you know, which was the little pet name that Odin had for when they were married. Um, But yeah, it just never made two and two together. And so, yeah, when he comes to and he takes Brock out, especially after you just had that really touching moment, you know, you know, hours earlier with Brock where he kind of realizes he's missing part of his soul and, you know, he's kind of coming to terms with this new reality of his life and, then all of a sudden he's it's over and and he's just far enough removed from being a main character that doesn't have to like grind everything to a total halt but it is enough to where you like take pause and really absorb like just kind of what's at stake here and what just happened because he's just a side character for the most part in the game that's really done nothing but help you um and now is dead as a result of (laughs) of choosing to do so i mean his his final words to sindri i just I was like <laughs> fighting back tears. I mean, the fact that he, you know, he, he tells Sindri, he knows what, what, you know, his, his state is. 
And the fact that because of that, he can't get into the afterlife, but he still forgives him. And um, I don't know, just the delivery of like, you gotta let go. I was like, oh, you know, um, I don't know. I just, um, at this point, I was ready to kill Odin. I'll just say that. Like, it it, it was on for me, um, which made it slightly more disappointing that Kratos goes the opposite direction. He he doesn't want immediately to, to go for the kill. Instead, it's like this, he's just so sickened by everything that's happened and just so disappointed by by it that he, for a moment, he's like, I'm out. Like, I'm done with this. And, um, yeah. I thought as brutal as that whole scene was, I think it had like a really cool dynamic to Sindri. Like in, you know, Sindri went from this like pretty, like, uh, you know, like comedic, you know, aspect along with Brock, like Sindri had some comedy to his character. All of a sudden now, like, you know, like lost everything you know like his brother was kind of like even though they were separated in the first game like he brought them back together and they reunited and, and you know now he like loses them so Sindri's character ends up having an immense change after this you know and I think has like some of the cooler moments in this post you know back half of the game for most of the characters I think as far as like story-wise goes and makes me ask a lot of questions like what ends up happening with Sindri. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was masterful that, you know, Odin masked himself and got himself entwined and, you know, was able to manipulate things behind the scene and then, you know, kind of saw an opportunity to, you know, get what he went for, you know, which was a mask. And he had his trusty old kitchen knife cooking up all that veggie stew and, you know, just shanked broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> made Brock stew so pacifist um, yeah but uh the whole scene after that is uh I think pretty cool uh, you know he gives Gallahorn back to you know Freya and he's like I'm done you know we're just we're gonna leave and then he takes his son on a hunting trip you know it's kind of like a time for them to bond and kind of try to reestablish each other and what their relationship's gonna be so I definitely uh, appreciate the reflection I was going to say, before we proceed too much further, I did want to take a quick pause and just kind of review some of the actors in this, because these sequences only work on the backs of how much effort was done from the mocap and the voice acting, which I thought was A++ throughout this entire effort. Um, so there's a few of these that I wanted to draw attention to and see uh, if you gentlemen were aware of their presence and or if you know who they are, just for you know, shits and giggles, because why not? Um, first one that really jumped to mind, were you guys aware of who did the voice for the squirrel? Ratatastor? I do. I would hope you would, Dave. That's yeah. <laughs> kind of important for you. Uh, so Jack, his name is Sungwon Cho, better known by the name of Pro ZD. Um, he does uh, voice voice acting and skits on YouTube, but essentially he's a YouTuber that has done so much focus on this kind of stuff that he is prominent enough that they actually cast him in a triple you know, a uh, action video game title. So kind of cool to see. Now, the guy. I'm assuming 
he does the voice for all the squirrel split personalities as well or is that no actually what's funny is you know who does the voice for the bitter squirrel is troy baker oh (laughs) i did not know that oh interesting (laughs) which i'm pretty sure is just a cameo just Uh an excuse to slot him in there because i'm sure he either auditioned and didn't get a role or they just you know had him available so that I mean, he's a fair of amount of lines, but you'd never know it if you didn't do that one obnoxious quest line. So that's so <laughs> weird. Yeah, so uh, there's that one. Uh, do you remember Lunda from Ragnarok? Uh, well, that... yeah, obviously. She has a pretty uh, prominent role, particularly post-game. So. Yeah, well, that is voiced by... Uh, her name is Milana Vaintrub, uh, who is actually the character Lily from the AT&T commercials. I don't know if you've seen all of those. <laughs> Jack's <Lily>. seen those. <laughs> Nicole's not a fan of her. <laughs> I mean, no, she she was like a celebrity crush of mine, like, I mean, years ago. But um, that is so funny. I just, the Lily from AT&T. That is hilarious. Yeah, no she was way. also on uh, what was that HBO show, the Mike Judge one about the programmers, as well. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I just remember when those AT and T commercials like first dropped. I was <laughs> like, "Who is this girl? Like, she's gorgeous." Uh, what about uh, Deborah Ann Wool as Faye? You familiar with Deborah Ann Wool from Daredevil? Yeah, I actually recognized her. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I did recognize her. Um, I've got some more thoughts on her later. We'll we'll talk. Yeah. Um, the big one for me uh, that was I recognize him immediately, but Richard Schiff as uh, Odin. Uh, you know, bit character who's been in countless movies and shows for the past twenty years. Well, it, it was hilarious because I finished the game, and then a week later, I go to uh, Black Panther two. <laughs> and he's in it and i was just like what the fuck um, <laughs> so uh yeah that was that was pretty funny yeah as soon as he walked in the door i was on the mic with jack actually and um i didn't remember his name but i was like oh, that's a dude from the west wing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's it it like they i i thought it was cool that he was featured so prominently because i thought he played odin pretty well so you know it's funny because the game awards they nominated two of these actors uh i believe it was atreus and uh kratos yeah Man, there's, there's like five or six people in here i mean freya was lights out in this game as was um uh odin so yeah I, i'm glad you say that because one thing i was going to say with the game of the year awards was i actually wasn't that jazz to see christopher judge won for it like i, I look he does an incredible job with kratos I I can't knock it, and he is the main character of this series. But some of these other characters, I think, just stole the show uh, completely from him. Um, I I I thought... Christopher Judge, just... uh, I don't know. I thought he was amazing. I thought he was amazing, but, you know, I do, like... Thought I thought that kid who did Atreus had some pretty difficult sequences, particularly the one Dave just brought up. And... You know, I, I think that for the most part, like I, Kratos, I think so much of what his character is to me now in these newer iterations are the words he doesn't say. 
So I don't know how much of that actually I can attribute to Christopher Judge's performance versus I know when Danielle Basuti is the name of Freya's act, actress, like some of her parts are just so difficult for any actor to be able to accomplish that depth of emotion and accomplish that much behind it. Now, I can't nominate her because she's absolutely terrible when you're in combat, when she's yelling all this stupid crap about, like, loading arrows and stuff when you're in the middle of getting your ass handed to you. <laughs> but um, but during some of those sequences, like, her, sure, she can steal sequences from, from any of them. So that, that was my opinion. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to knock Christopher Judge for winning anything. I mean, he makes this character, and the main character drives the whole plot. So, um but yeah, I, I'm just overly impressed by all of these performances because I, I thought they were incredible. And I thought it was kind of neat seeing a little YouTuber actually get to this level of voice acting along the way. But um, something cool about that is that um, they had written out most of the score and then like they added Ratatasker in kind of like, like when they were wrapping it up and the composer is just like what the hell am I supposed to do with this character? Like, what's this song going to be and all that kind of stuff. So, I don't know, a little cool side note that, you know, they were just like, was still this fun character and to give like this um, part of the lore a little bit more depth and then we'll have like a pretty good voice actor. Prozidi is, if you look up his stuff, like he knows what he's doing. And uh, yeah, anyways, a little cool side note. Yeah, so... Uh, that leads us perfectly, though, into the hunting trip, where essentially it's Kratos and, and Atreus having a heart-to-heart in a, the most indirect manner possible, which is <laughs> the most hyper-masculine. It's like, rather than talk about our feelings, let's go project it onto killing a, 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 an animal out in the woods <laughs> instead. But, but they don't. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, they do not. Yeah, well, I, that, and that's the touching moment. That That's the part where Kratos truly steps up and for the first time really in the series is, is full-on father that you've always been rooting for him to be of realizing there's a problem with his son here that he needs to step in and actually address. And he does so by comforting him and, and reminding him that, you know, it's he can't hold himself completely responsible for the depth of death of Brock um also a side note here what i thought was really interesting was i really appreciate this take on loki uh because you know going into it i kind of only had the marvel impression of loki as a character that he was the trickster god of the nordic uh, mythology and the way they did instead with him in this was he tricked you know he tried to trick odin in order to steal the masks and that's the lore that got spread out is that he's this dirty rotten scoundrel trickster but in actuality he's just this innocent kid who's trying to do what he thinks is the right decision for the betterment of the world so uh kind of neat in that regard but um but yeah it was, it's a touching moment because this whole entire time literally all throughout 2018 and through probably three quarters of this title you're hoping for basically just kratos to give him a big hug and this about as close as you can get is him lowering his weapon so he doesn't kill the innocent creature out in the middle of the woods which you know big kratos baby steps he's getting there yeah well i mean there's a lot of those moments in the last few hours of this game where you just see them in very different scenarios um coming together and uh i think the next one is where you go to try and enlist the help of uh well 
Ragnarok. Um, a scene that visually, uh, one of the highlights of the game for me, um, because God damn, that, that whole area was beautiful. When you go out into like that celestial sky, uh, um, absolutely stunning. And then you end up, well, uh, like a, well, you, you spare the deer, but you don't spare <laughs> those two Valkyries who come after you. And that scene, um, once again, like the bar scene, I was like, I was all in. I was wondering in the back of my mind, I was like, is this going to be too cheesy for uh, Dave and Matt when they when they go full on uh, WWE uh, uh, tag team combo? Uh, yeah, you're talking about Hrist and Mist, um, which I thought was really cool. I was, you know, like I love them as kind of like these like in the background characters, just like two, you know, two security guards basically. And then, you know, uh, Kratos and Atreus get to Surtur and then are able to convince them to like fulfill the lore and turn into Ragnarok. So he does this thing and then like Chris and Miss come down and I'm like, okay, green bar. Oh yeah, this, this is going to be good. And then it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> like you, you get to the green bar, you get to a point and then it turns into an orange bar. And then, you know, by, by halfway through it's a purple bar now. And yeah, it's like, you're fighting like, you know, like the worst tag team that you could possibly face up against they killed me a few times it took me uh it took me a few times to really kind of feel comfortable with their pattern and what they were going to do so i could take swings and inflict damage in between some of their stuff but yeah uh i was like man the rest of the boss fights are going to be like this like (laughs) that's last part of the game is going to be a grind but i thought it was cool that they ended up showing up and like outside of this really gorgeous part of the game like i i sat there for a few moments just appreciating like what they had created there uh when i didn't have to like progress through the story or anything like that but chris and miss fight yep pretty gnarly yeah i mean speaking as the only person here who still watches wrestling regularly <laughs> you know that i was 100 percent on board with this yes so um, i got th- so we got three for three on the uh yeah absolutely uh, and the other thing kind of you know basically uh, this entire conversation on god of war ragnarok is kind of hinged largely on the way that they've used the narrative in the combat to to further expand and i think this was such a perfect point because at this point in the game you you know you're getting ready for ragnarok but you haven't quite committed fully like you're just kind of beginning the state the planning stages and you've just gone through brock being you know killed by odin and you've just gone through these heart these you know heart-wrenching sequences with your son so at this point, you just really want to destroy something. And so having two Valkyries that are paying the ass, like you said, Dave, that you just like every time you land a blow with your axe, you just like feel like that sense of like just like wanting to destroy them. It kind of gets you back to that true sense of like what playing as Kratos needs to be, which is being this all-powerful God-destroying character. But, you know, coming with that, also, the emotional depth that is necessary to make him not a complete psychopath in this modern age of gaming where you need to have more. You can't just keep having it just be a character who goes off and destroys everything in his wake. He needs to have more to compel people to keep wanting to check in on his, his exploits and see what he's doing. So 
Um, I think this is good timing. This is very much one of those you you get out all that frustration over not having your hands on Odin just yet by just destroying his two bodyguards in the most violent manner possible. So, yeah, big, yeah. big time moment. When the, when they have that like totally like Marvel superhero or whatever you want to call it, where they frame them like perfectly and the, and the bears behind them, you know, I was like my my fists are in the air. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I was all in, and uh, yeah, that, um, you know, this this game it's gotten a ton of you know game of the year awards, but. Uh, you know, if you look online, there's a lot of people who have a lot of issues with it, you know? Um, and I think a lot of it's just, do you buy in, you know, like, do you let the corniness that like you got, uh, Matt, you kept saying Disney or I, I'm sorry, which one of you guys said Disney moments. And if you buy into those, I think, you know, you're, you're going to have this awesome ride. And if you don't, I guess I could totally understand why somebody would be like, uh, this just isn't, this isn't for me, you know? Um, I mean, it's in that same echelon as, as Last of Us 2, where they made some decisions that go counter to the what your impressions of the characters was from previous games. And with that, there comes criticism. You know, I was the one who was very vocal the first time I played through Last of Us 2 about how I didn't like Ellie's character because I disagreed with 90% what she was doing the whole time. So it was hard for me to really appreciate that story when it was like, I know full well, she's murdering all these people. They're on the cusp of being innocent for the most part, just out of pure vengeance, but it's to tell a greater story. And same with this, there are some sequences that drag out, or if you don't like the new Kratos of this more tender fatherly figure, you are going to have issues with it. Um, You know, I, I made mention too, before of hoping this to be more like God of War three, um in the action sequences but i know that for certain there were people that wanted to be more like god of war 3 and the more nihilistic you know just tone of everything of just like oh i'm here to just destroy this universe because somebody wronged me one time and i'm kratos so i can do that so um so there's that too so it's i imagine there will be plenty of controversy with it that was a huge reason why i wanted to rush through and beat it as early as we did uh, to get out and ahead of that, because once you start reading into it, it, it gets pretty obnoxious over time. No, I really appreciated the fact that, you know, that <laughs> chance turns into this giant bear. And then I loved it. I was rooting the whole time, too. I was just like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, square. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> so. Um. Well, shit. The, are we ready to tackle the, the final chapter? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, we kind of skipped the point that after the father-son hunting trip, they decided to go back to the fight. You know, so, um, uh, you know, Kratos went back and got Gallahorn back, and that's why they're going to Surtur. So, yeah. Well, I hope I don't jump out of turn here, but I just want a, a real brief – I have a brief question – um, before we tackle what is basically a two and a half hour mission, you both have way more experience with like epic conclusion um, than I do. Uh, I think of like Mass Effect here, and you guys talk about how all the different factions you gather as you as you progress through the story, they all come together in these like epic conclusions. 
uh, Days Gone was another one, Matt, that you really, um, but, but I just gather that that's something that you really appreciate. Um, for me, this conclusion was absolutely epic, but I was kind of curious if, if you were disappointed by the fact that it wasn't like this, all these armies kind of gathered together at your side, because it was a little bit, but it definitely, I don't think it was to the extent as some of these other games you've played. Uh, yeah, I was disappointed. I was really hoping to see this like epic knockout fight with, you know, all your allied realms coming in and, you know, pouring into the fight and you being really more involved on this like larger battle scale, you know, where you're seeing your different allies weaving in and out, you know, through the villains and stuff. But um, I think it was story appropriate at what happened, you know, like Odin's not a fool you know, he knew what was coming and he could probably suss out what was going to happen, you know, because he was there for the whole lore. So, you know, it's not like he didn't know that these realms were going to join the fight against him. So story appropriate, but a little disappointed on the fact that I didn't get to see this, like, you know, return of the king type fight at the end. Of yeah, it. Um, that's, that's what I was curious about. If, you know, but his journey through that, I did appreciate it. I thought there were some really cool moments. Uh one of my favorite was in the background and that was just seeing Thor fight this giant snake. And you don't, you don't actually see Thor is what you see is like continuous lightning, you know, spotting around the map while it's, it comes up to the snake and then you hear a large explosion and the snake's head rocks back. And then the snake hits the lightning bolt and the lightning bolt flies away, you know, into the ground and stuff. And that, that was the kind of stuff that was like, I stopped a few times during the fight and I was like, oh, this is pretty dope. You know, despite the fact that there isn't this, you know, seven nation army coming down against Odin, you know, so uh, story appropriate. And, you know, when I accepted that, I was like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of still really cool stuff happening in this. I, yeah, I'm with Dave. Like, I I didn't like the buildup. I thought the buildup was cheesy. Uh, where he gives Kratos gives his little speech kind of on what it's going to take for them to win the the battle. Like the speech itself wasn't bad because they tied in nice later on, but it, it didn't really inspire much. And then like Mimir having his his long lost like lover slash like partner or whatever she was uh, the the Valkyrie that he spends the evening with like it was a bit overdone. Like it, it just I don't know. Like it, it didn't have the same feeling like in Mass Effect 3, where prior to the last battle, you literally go up to every one of these characters who've been with you throughout this entire journey and you have like a heart to heart conversation. And some of them are just kind of like in their own world. Some of them are like super direct and share their feelings with you. Like, but it's just this real touching moment for you as the player where you're kind of like coming to terms with the fact that like you're about to enter a war and some of these characters might not make it back. So with this one, they tried to go for that. It just didn't have the same depth for me personally. Um, the action itself, like I agree with Dave, like what was going on in the background was 20 times cooler than what I was doing, uh, which was kind of frustrating. It made me feel like some of that might be tied to because the power of, you know, it is a PS4 title that we were playing on PS5 and that maybe they didn't have the ability to fully implement some of the power because I feel like this was the stage 
that was hoping for that God of War 3 over-the-top action of him scaling mountains and riding on the back of creatures or leaping into the air to tackle Valkyries. And you didn't really get any of that. It was just a lot of set pieces of generic action leading up to eventually encountering, you know, a few story sequences in between, which I also, you know, they, they move the needle only because the actors are so good, but I will say that they do kind of grind everything to a halt, which is kind of obnoxious when you're supposed to be engaging in the end of the world combat going on in the background. You have this giant fire God smashing things up or all, and everybody stops to have like a big, long conversation on like, well, what do we think about, you know, moving these over here or doing this and all that. So um, I, there were some pacing issues, but overall, I mean, was it epic and amazing? Of course. And, you know, it, it was definitely an experience that I was glad to play through because it's, it's not the same as watching it. I know that for sure. Well, I was curious if that would be your guys's um, kind of something that, you know, you, it, it sounds like you both still really enjoyed it, but have your reservations about kind of the the way that went down and i mean really i i don't blame you for thinking that because one like the dwarves they don't even show up the elves are just there like you just show up there's no there's no giants uh i didn't really see the the hellheim creatures that much so i don't blame you but for me personally it was such a roller coaster of emotions that i was fully like entranced uh, starting with the touching scene with Atreus and Kratos the night before the battle where your son who has fought with all these skirmishes is actually going to war and something that Kratos really did not want. And they're really starting to like kind of bond as, as, as a team, as opposed to just the father figure and have that moment where Atreus kind of comes to his tent and is like, Hey, you know, I just got offered this other, you know, sleepy spot because I'm a man now. But this is this is probably our last night together, you know. Um, I thought I don't know that just hit me, and then holy cow! I, when, when I stepped into the battlefield, Dave, you mentioned uh, Thor and the snake. I thought that was fantastic. But Garm taking out that dragon that's hunting you for so long—that like, wow, that was so cool. Because Garm, you know, well, I love Garm. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, and then Matt, you mentioned how they kind of stop and talk for a minute and how that kind of interrupted the pace for you, which is funny because that might be my favorite part of the entire game. And I'll tell you why um, going into this, I watched like the whole structure of the initial God of War series and how it ends with, you know, obviously Kratos in a fit of vengeance, destroying an entire world. And so to me, what that scene was is he sees Atreus like absolutely devastated by these people that have been eliminated and he completely flips course and, and says, we've got to get these innocent, our armies, but these innocent people away from this because we're not here for vengeance. We're here for justice and for doing things right. And it's just the complete like final character arc switch. Whereas the initial series ends with him in a, absolute destruction this ends with him doing the complete opposite thing where he's just he's he's still going to try and get the job done but he's not willing to sacrifice anything to do it and that we see him kind of take these steps through his relationship with atreus and these other people who have become family to him i just thought was 
I don't know. For me, it was a character arc that really kind of hit home for me. Um, but I could see, you know, where people would be like, what the fuck? You know, where's the Kratos of old just destroying some shit? No, I, I really did enjoy that part too. Like, and like I said, the whole thing was very story appropriate, character appropriate. But yeah, like maybe like, you know, five minutes where you're just waiting through a sea of bad guys is, you know, Kratos would have been awesome, you know, but um, the dwarves, like they just seem like such an OP aspect to the game. Um, I'm not trying to veer this whole topic off, but the fact Sindri does come back during this battle. Like, um, you know, there's a moment that we skipped over that happened before this where they go back uh, to Sindri's house to try to, you know, figure out where they are with him and his relationship and basically the the animosity he has towards both of them, you know, kind of made me wonder if this is going to be a heel turn at some point, you know, he even just says, like, you guys take everything from me and, like, you never give anything back, like, that. that's the death of a, a relationship, you know? So for him, for a moment, to see him come back you know, do his, like, crazy teleportation thing and just, like, bang on a hammer and then all of a sudden whatever problems in front of him is, you know, fixed. Um, I thought it was cool. I was like, sweet, you know, Sindri's back into this equation and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen, especially after the viscosity he threw at them, so. Yeah, I, I think you guys bring up excellent things uh, which are important to the grand finale of this game. Um, and, and, you know, I think you're right. In hindsight, I definitely agree with you on the impact of that sequence when everything grinds to a halt and Kratos' decision to kind of go counter to everything he had made in the speeches before Ragnarok began to everybody of saying, like, this comes down to who's willing to give more, but more or less is the gist of what he's saying of who's willing to sacrifice ultimately to, to win the war and then when he encounters all these innocent people, they're being used as human shields. Uh, he, you know, realizes that that's wrong altogether and that he's going to pivot from that, which is critical to the future of Kratos as a video game character as a whole, because a huge thing with Kratos um, that was started in the 2018 edition, but is even more apparent now in 2022 is that, you know, his character needed to evolve in order to be more with the times because just being a bloodthirsty sociopath doesn't quite cut it as being a video game protagonist of a triple A title anymore. Like there needs to be at least some depth and motivation that ensures that you're just not a vessel for bloodletting. So, um, so yeah, uh, a critical sequence uh, for me, it ground things a bit to a halt, but I also, you know, can't fault it and enjoyed the eventual, you know, sequences that came from it. So uh, following along, this leads us to the battle confrontation with Thor and eventually Odin. Any thoughts on those two battles, gentlemen? Yeah, like they both showed up as green bars for me, which, which <laughs> I was like, "What?" I was like, "Is this going to be another Chris Miss thing?" That's exactly what I have myself prepared for mentally. I was like, "Oh God!" Like I'm going to have to go through this again, you know, where they just keep escalating up into power, but. Um, I gotta say, like, the Thor fight, you know, once you figure out what the cycle is, it isn't too bad. Um, I think that the ending of the fight had, like, really kind of, is 
All right, so you brought up the point where Kratos like did the 180 where he goes, Atreus, you're right, we can't sacrifice. Like we have to save these people. Even if we have to lose lives ourselves, like we got to protect these people, they're innocent. That laid the groundwork for how he ends up dealing with Thor at the very end, you know, and the fact that they're both parents and that, you know, despite who they are and what they've done, like if they really do care about their children, like they have to change. And, you know, Thor cares about his daughter. Like that's the thing, you know, like Thor is humanized in the sense that he cares very much about her and doesn't want her to become what he is, you know? So, um, but yeah, you know, that green bar didn't really change much about that fight for me. So, you know, I was kind of like expecting something harder, but kind of grateful it wasn't too much more harder. That was just me, though. I don't know. Dave, I, I always make fun of you because you were the epitome of that meme of, you know, and I've brought this up before of, of the last boss who's terrified of the, of, the, of the asshole who's spent 50 hours on side quests. For me, I, I hit it at the perfect moment. It was, um, it was difficult, but didn't stop the show. Um, I really was, I felt like I was fighting for, you know, my life, for, you know, the battle. Um, I thought it was just as impressive as the Thor fight from the beginning and the stakes were even higher in this one. So I was all in, uh, the Odin fight was not quite as enthralling, but I wasn't disappointed. I still thought it was really good. Um, I love how you Freya and Atreus all kind of come together and like Freya is like snapping the necks of Ravens. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I just bought all into the epic uh, nature of it. And, um, yeah, you know, we didn't ride any Titans, but uh, Jesus, Thor is just such an amazing uh, boss. And the fact that I got two epic, you know, thug it out fights with them. Uh, whew, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else I could ask for in terms of like a, a, a final boss battle. I, I thought it was awesome. I tend to... Pro- prefer to and i think it just goes back to all the old video games they play where i like where the big powerful ones first and then kind of the weaker like sorcerers the second one like just reminds me of that old mortal Kombat with koro and then shang Tsung, where it's like okay if you can get through the one you're confident you'll get through the next so um i i really just love the yeah the interwoven cinematics with these like it, it just added so much more and they were so but they did such a good job of teasing the Thor fight, or Thor fight at the beginning of the game to lead up to this. And when you're in the middle of it, like, again, it's, it, I couldn't think of any other sequence in the game where I'm just like the whole time, every blow, it's just like, this is so fucking cool. And that's coming after sequences where, you know, you turn into a bear and maul Valkyries and things. So couldn't agree more. Just, just wow. Yeah. So it incredible and battles i would say odin like i say it drops off but again you know you're so close to seeing the epic conclusion of the game at this point you're just kind of like you're looking forward to beating his ass (laughs) which which you do uh i I had a little trouble with him towards the end i'll say that what about you guys uh can i admit something so there's an aspect to the fight where there's three separate platforms and he does this area of effect, you know, attack on one platform. And I didn't realize there's platforms, so I <laughs> ate about six of those. 
and like still live through the fight. Like I literally just sit there and tank them, you know? And I was just like, oh, I figured out these are platforms and the fight just became so much more easier after me, that. Me too. And it I didn't know that they are platforms. Four times. Yeah, it took me three or four times. There's two things I really like about that Odin fight. One, I mean, you already hate Odin. Uh, you know, after he took out Brock, that was like it, you know, you're, but when he kills Thor, it removes the last sense of anything human about him. Like all that, like, oh, you know, he's really trying to find, you know, a greater purpose, you know, when he kills his own son in front of his granddaughter, it's like, oh, this shit is on. Like I'm killing this motherfucker, especially because they just like finally like really humanized Thor, you know? Um, and then it's just a quick throwaway line, but I love it when, when Odin goes, I'm going to kill the three of you. And and Mimir goes, don't forget about me all fucker. (laughs) (laughs) I was dying, dude. Yeah. I I loved it. There is something funny too, about, um, the actor playing Odin, just cause like, you know, in comparison to Thor, who's just this massive figure when you're fighting Odin, who's like, I have a smaller, like thinner, older man and just smashing him with his axe. It's just such a funny visual of seeing the actor flailing about as you're just like slamming into him, even though his health bar is like through the roof, like you're just still kind of like, just the imagery like cracked me up the whole time. Dude from the West Wing just getting smashed. Yeah, just getting smashed <laughs> by this giant axe the whole time and <laughs> flailing about. But um, yeah, so you get the the grand sequence at the end. Uh, Freya, this was when Freya started to annoy me a bit. Where like multiple times throughout the the end run, she started having like all these second thoughts on all these things that she was very focused on. Which again, I th- narratively is kind of her character throughout, like where she. She'll say, you know, beginning of the game, she wanted to kill you and Atreus, but then, you know, she chases her mind. And then as we get into this, you get Odin put into one of those little marble things. And all of a sudden, you know, Freya's waffling at what to do. Like, what should we do with this all father that is now trapped in this, this uh, marble? And what can we do? What should we do? What were your thoughts on that, Jack? I got to mention one, I, I really like the final moment of Kratos trusting Atreus to just make the right decision. Um, I thought that was really cool. A nice final touch. And then the um, after the mask gets broken, obviously Odin going into the marble, which is the, I guess the second twist of the game, you know, outside of the tier is, is that you are led to believe that this was Kratos the entire time that is dying at the end where it's actually this specific scene um, where Atreus transfers his soul into the marble. Um, I thought it was a little weird. And uh, I thought this with Heimdall earlier where sometimes, like you said, these characters seem to waffle at really awkward moments. It's that whole like heavy rain uh, scene where you go (laughs) kill 30 innocent bodyguards only to be like, oh, I should spare this person because I'm better. And I, I never understand that kind of logic. At least with Heimdall, it's like he's trying to prevent Ragnarok, but it's like, come on, just fucking kill Odin. I mean, this guy deserves to die more than anyone. So 
Um, I get it because what they did do is they set it up for Sindri to pop in and get his and get his uh, revenge, which was which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love the fact that they're playing hot potato with it. <laughs> it, was, it was like uh, what an honor, but you know maybe Atreus should take the weight of this responsibility. <laughs> like I don't kill gods anymore, so I'm not doing this. And then Freya's like, hey, you know, he's kind of a bit dumb. Yeah. Like, no, I appreciated the fact that um, Sentry does his, like, space-time warp bubble, comes in and just is like, oh, I know exactly what to do with this. Yeah, like, just, like, like boom! Come on! You, you can't imagine. live this guy alive. Like, well, anyway. You know, and the cool thing is it's like, Odin's done a lot of atrocious shit, but he also like enslaved the dwarves, you know, and really kind of like created this like huge fracture within their community, you know. So for Sindri to come in, you know, and do this work thing with the magic hammer and teleportation, like I thought was pretty cool. Like justice served in the sense that, you know, now, you know, his people can, you know, be free of this like pretty malicious entity. So. Right on. So. Boys, uh, what did we think kind of the conclusion? This game obviously sets you up for exploration and kind of post-credits here. Well, the the ending where, well, one, they sacrifice another character I don't really care much about. <laughs> I don't know. Frere, did he do anything for you guys? He was, like, probably the weakest main character in the game, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, honestly, I didn't even realize he killed himself until, or, or he sacrificed himself fully until we were like much further into the end credits thing. Oh, <laughs> like like they say he was, but very similar to the idiot who jumps off of the floating boat and tackles a dragon mid arrows. Like <laughs> half of me was like, "Oh, cool!" So I get to go rescue Freyr as well later on. So yeah, well, anyway, um, the conclusion uh, with with. Atreus kind of going through um, and talking to everybody afterwards. Um, I was kind of just like... Well, I want to bring up a quick note. He's ascending a, a mountain, you know, like he's he's, he's oh. moving up this mountain as he's like, you know, visiting all these people that have helped him on his path. And he's ascending up into manhood now into godhood, you know, after this event. So, <laughs> sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I, I think there's a lot of iconography, uh, like, you know, like there's a lot to say in that. So, well, um, I mean, it kind of concludes with him, you know, talking to Angerboda and her with the reveal of yet another uh, hidden uh, mural. This one of Atreus having to leave or Loki having to leave because uh, Atreus stays here. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I thought it was another just touching scene. Um, and I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but the, the scene where they pull back and um, Kratos watches him and Angerboda kind of like talk. And it's like the scene where, you know, it's, it's a dad watching his kid, like take that last final step into becoming a man, you know, like having this romantic relationship and about to journey off by himself to, um, you know, and I thought they did something that really just kind of like was chef's kiss for me. And that is they go to his left shoulder 
for that scene. Um, I don't know if they ever do that any place else in the series. Maybe they did and I missed it. But throughout the entire two games, it's always on over uh, Kratos' right shoulder. And when he's watching Loki about to, to walk into that portal, it flips to his left shoulder. Um, and I just thought it was such a cool, like, little thing to, to kind of, like, add some extra gravity to the moment of, of this is a real shift. Um, I just thought that was wonderful game direction. And I, I was, yeah, I was just really kind of floored by it. That's a really good point. I didn't even pick up on that. But uh, what I will say is that, yeah, throughout this game, especially when I was reading up kind of on things in it in anticipation of sitting down with you boys, um, just realizing how many subtle things like that are in there, like this entire experience is just blows me away. Like there was just as much thought put in the narrative of this one as there have been in some of the best storylines of any games I've ever experienced. So um, that that's a really cool little moment you pointed out and it highlights a really interesting jump off for the series because um, this what I have to say really what blew me away with following all of this was just kind of the realization that like everything is different now like it's all it's all up for complete change well, that changed too. You know, there's a scene right after that where he watches the trace leaves that he walks behind this mural and opens up another mm-hmm. panel, which uh, shows him being worshipped as like this deity of like repair and good and you know that kind of stuff. And yeah, this is a, I want to say your first time too, where like you see Kratos like one of the few times where you see him kind of reduced almost to like you know near crying. You know, yep. like. Yeah. You know, for him to realize like that he is going to become good, you know, it's just like he just needs to stick on the path that he's been doing. And it also yeah. paints a picture about what's going to come post game, which is going through a bunch more stuff. <laughs> things. And it's like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Now we're playing. Now we're playing God of War repairman, you know, <laughs> so, like, God, God, God of War grind mode. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a very fitting conclusion. Um, and I think a lot of people would be disappointed by the fact that Kratos didn't didn't die at the end. I think that, uh, but for me, I was so just like, there was, there was so much um, conclusion to, like, like I was saying earlier, the, the character arc of Kratos for me was so satisfying that I was completely, completely okay with the fact that they kind of pulled the switcheroo with him and Odin being the one that dies. Uh, I didn't really think about it until later. And um, yeah, I, I I was all in. I I think one of the best endings to a game I've ever played. Um, And I I know a lot of people disagree with that, but that's where I landed. It it was up there. Like I said, I, I had a few small issues that are nitpicky not like anything that worth like diving into because it was more just feeling like I've seen certain parts of these in other games done differently. This this whole game is so ambitious. Um, You know, I keep using the word bloated that I, I just think it's really hard to to nail it all out of the park. And um, that's why there are, uh, there are a number of things I didn't like about this game, but but the over, you know, the overarching story, narrative, character development was just such a, a win for me that I can kind of put the other stuff on the back burner and not have it bug me. 
Well, I think the remarkable thing that they did with this ending was they set up so much potential for that next game. Like you and I, Jack, like in particular, very critical at the beginning of this recording, uh, talking about games, you know, super giant recreating Hades just because it seems like it's going to be too much more of the same rather than expanding into something different. Um, this is a great example of what AAA games that pursue that constant change do, where they leave you in this this setting where all of a sudden everything is up in the air. Like, I went into this experience dreading finding out how they were going to elevate Atreus to be eventually the successor to Kratos. Instead, they end this game with essentially making an excuse to for basically kicking Atreus out of the game altogether if they wish. I'm sure he'll be back in some capacity, but they basically made it so, like, in the next future God of War titles, he could be just off in other universes doing his thing, and and you have a new companion, you know, or you have, like... No, but, but seriously, like, it went from, like, setting up a world where it was like, okay, this is going to build up to where eventually Kratos dies and he takes his slot. It's like, there's so much potential there. You still have the tier thing that was out there that, you know, we had alluded to where the real tier exists and you know lives in this world and you have no idea how he's going to react to a world post Ragnarok. You have everything that went on with the development of Sindri, which has become a completely different character than he was for two whole games. And well, um, we have, we still have to talk about the funeral. To, yeah. To, yeah. Yeah, of course. It, but you know, it, it's just, there's just so much potential for different ways they can explore rather than just sticking to their laurels. So I, that was impre- incredibly impressive to me uh, that they managed to do that, which I value more than uh, some of the little nitpicky things I have, which really mainly just kind of hinge on the like mega happy ending cor- kind of feel of some of the discussions you have with everybody where it seems like every little issue got resolved, like during this blank period of time when the world ended seemingly. So, Well, there's one issue that does not get resolved. And I was the funeral um, was was basically the last chance to do it, and they didn't do it. And that's Brock is missing pieces of his soul and is like stuck in limbo, which I think is just crazy. That I mean, they got to go down to hell and get those pieces. I'm saying. Well, according to the Lord, because he wasn't a complete soul when he died a second time, like all that's gone. Like, yeah, it's it's Brock, all Brock, Brock. Brock's a done character. Like he died incomplete, so. Like, there is no chance to recover his soul. And that's why Sindri is the way he is. Yeah. It's Sindri's fault. But what I'm saying is, come on. This is a video game. We got to pull you know, some... You know they're going to find him in the next yeah, There's got to be some... They go jump in that pond and go get those last pieces, is what I'm saying. Uh, you, know, what, you know it'll happen in the next one. What did you guys think about the funeral? I liked it a lot. Um, I, I thought... I thought it really kind of, like struck a chord it was a good send-off for a character that i think had a lot more weight than he was credited for you know because in the first game he really you know broke up the manani added like huge amount of humor and in the second game he's even more prominent and you know like you know he kind of died in a way that you know left one half you know his brother like kind of incomplete so I thought it was a good send off for a funeral. Probably one of the better funerals I've played in the game. Definitely not hitting F for respect at any point in this, which is nice, but you know. 
I was going to say what I, I thought it was brilliant to have two endings like this because my issues, like the nitpicky issues I have with the main ending, a lot of them stem from it just being kind of like meat heady, like kind of big, dumb, like epic action tale, like oriented where it's like, Oh, big war ended. And now everybody's happy versus this feels like the true ending of the game. Like, and the only people who are going to go bother and go through the effort to find it are the people who actually got invested in the storyline and are willing to go. It's really just a matter of going to a few different areas to, to get there. It's not hard to Very initiate, quick. but it's still an extra step that not everyone's going to do. And I, I think that that speaks volumes to the types of folk who got really invested in what the heart of this game is, which is really about those characters. Like ultimately at the end of the day, like none of us give a shit playing through about the world world and all the people who occupy this world that just experience this this Ragnarok like world ending battle what we give a shit about are the characters we traveled with along the way and you just lost one of the more critical ones and um, yeah it, it really cements that he's dead and he's gone and, and despite all the power you have you couldn't prevent it and it, it was touching and sad and Sindri that character arc is like terrifying the the amount of change that went through him to from going from just this kind of obsessive compulsive figure to just being broken um you see a lot of characters on the verge of being broken throughout this game a lot of emotional moments where you see them barely holding it together uh freya atreus angerboda all have really memorable sequences that but but sindri is the only one where you see somebody just full on just actually succumb to being broken by the events he's experienced and it's it's devastating in a lot of ways there is um a scene earlier in the game when you're traveling with brock where he he offers the smartest man in the world a riddle that mm. completely confounds him and um mimir keeps guessing and and brock who's supposedly this meathead just keeps making fun of him because he can't figure it out when Brock died, like, I remember thinking at some point in between that and the end of the game, I was like, oh, shit, did I miss, like, the dialogue option where I find out that, you know, uh, Mimir figuring out this riddle? And um, and I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I missed that. And, you know, Brock is sailing away, his, his, body, his burning body is sailing away, and Mimir just, it pops into his head after Sindri leaves. Um, and it's, it's uh, what, what gets what gets larger the more you take away from it and the answer is a whole which like is a good riddle in itself but the fact that it's basically just this metaphor for everything Sindri's going through Sindri you know disappears through a hole through a portal and has had so much taken away from him and is just a broken you know character at this point that it just I don't know it really hit like I was like oh there it is (laughs) it was just such a it was just such a great foreshadowing i think another powerful moment is where you know kratos and sindri push brock off and kratos you know tries to to test if he can make amends with them you know and he puts his hand on his shoulder and sindri just like quickly turns around and is like nah man <laughs> like this doesn't mean we're cool anymore <laughs> like you know like you and then he like leaves and then you know mimir has like pretty tight it was you know in hindsight like a pretty touching moment i remember coming across it where he disappears and then mimir just goes a hole and then kratos is like what he goes 
yeah, the riddle, the answer is a whole. The more you take away, the larger it gets, you know? So I, I kind of, you know, just to get in a wild theory time, like kind of territory, I, I wonder if Sindri is like the next big bad villain, man. The game is Atreus, not so much. I don't even know if Kratos will be in the next one, you know, but like I could see Atreus squaring up against Sindri. <laughs> They're not leaving that cash cow behind. Uh, but maybe he'll take like a backseat role, you know. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, do you guys want to talk about post-game content or kind of what you're thinking for the next God of War at this point? I think both. Okay. Well, I haven't on. done too much of the post content, and I don't care if you guys spoil anything for me. It's it's kind of like something I'm going to visit a few months down the road, so not a big deal. It was a little emptier than I was hoping for. There are some cool character actions. You get to see Throod uh, fly yeah. off Thor's hammer. That was neat. That was pretty cool. Um, the tear reveal was pretty mind blowing for me. Matt, did you kind of have like a holy shit moment, or was it just kind of like whatever for you? It, it got spoiled for me, unfortunately. Oh, so. okay. I, I had no idea. So when you know you're going through this like pretty cool like pretty decent puzzle section in this game um all of a sudden you get to the bottom oh god it's odin he's back it's like oh no this is actually tear um i don't know i i i thought it was really cool um and then uh matt we were talking earlier you kind of stumble into him and his introspective nature throughout uh, all these different realms um and beyond that i don't know it was mostly just cleanup and um two boss fights that i thought were pretty damn difficult as opposed to the rest of the game Uh, i I played on the medium difficulty and i never really felt like it 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 was a challenging game but i never got stuck um king throof what do you remember his name i i forget the name but yeah the king who's the final one of the all the gravestones um yeah the berserks yeah, yeah, the Berserker King. Well, I thought that battle was awesome. Uh, it was one of those fights, like uh, you know, I get from From Software, where you're you like memorizing all these move sets, um, and just getting better and better over time. That might have been my favorite, like mechanical boss fight of the game. Uh, did you have any issues with that? It took me, I think it took me about an hour, and I was fully upgraded at that point. Uh, I did not. I, I think I beat him my second try. Um, <laughs> but I beat him after I, I beat the Valkyrie Queen, too. So it was kind of like um, coming off of her, like his was a little easier to pick up the patterns pretty quickly for me. So um, and I think, too, I just had the right armor at that point that was just made it a little easier. But, but I enjoyed the fight for the same reason you're saying. All of the Berserker ones, actually, I thought were a good step up in challenge and I like the way they're set up to where I mean very much why I liked Sekiro where it was like you're right next to the site where you revive so try as many times you you want to kill it and if you die you just start right over and you're right there there's no exploration or having to go through the frustration of getting to you just keep ramming your head into the wall until you figure it out so um well once again this was on give me balance and I was horrified when you Matt uh took out the Valkyrie Queen nah like it was nothing 
because I got my ass whooped and uh, only serious moment of the game when I thought like, oh, I might not be able to do this. I had to refer to a guide uh, to beat Nah. Uh, only time I needed a guide in the game outside of a couple of Ravens. Holy shit. She was so fast. And then I went on the guide and I realized that like this whole game, I've been practicing my parry, which I got really good at and she's too quick for it. Like, and there's two. So basically I tried all, I tried like four different builds for this, for this freaking Valkyrie queen. till I stumbled upon, I, I mentioned this to you guys, uh, dodge, right. <laughs> That was that was the game changer. I finally started dodging right, and it took me like three hours, but uh, finally beat beat her. Yeah. No, it's that's feather in your cap, man. That's a tough fight. So um, you know, and uh, definitely those those two were welcome. Um, I wish that they communicated that some of that stuff wasn't as available until end game, because I did waste a lot of time leading up to it, trying to complete all the side stuff, and then you hit a wall where just there's certain things that are hidden until you complete the game. So um, I, I can't totally fault the game for that because, you know, at that point, usually it's a given these days for these AAA type titles that there's probably going to be gameplay post credits, but you know, it, it still pissed me off that I spent a lot of time trying to activate things that didn't exist until I uh, completed the Ragnarok section. Yeah, that was one of the big reasons why I decided to put it down <laughs> after I was just like, I spent a lot of time backtracking and I was like, I don't, I don't want to go backtracking anymore. Like I'm, I'm ready to put it away for a little while, go do something else. And then, you know, when I come back, you know, to get the plot, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, you know, I forgot how great this was, you know, and I go take on the berserks and I'll go take on Nah and do all the muscle pine stuff. But yeah, I just, I felt like because of all the tedious backtracking I did looking for stuff, I definitely was turned off from wanting to explore more. So I'll say too, that they add those extra uh, seeds that you get at the end that make it a little easier to do the backtracking, which I also thought was cool. Um, yeah. Again, yeah, open up some new areas even pretty cool. Yeah, precisely. And also just like being able to like be that much closer to just swoop in grab what you need and get out rather than having to navigate like you had doing prior to that. So, Well, any other thoughts on this game? Um, I would say speculation for the next one. Um, boys, did you leave this title anticipating wanting to play the next edition of God of War when it comes out probably in two to three years now? I gotta see. And I almost wonder if it isn't going to be, Atreus focused like centered you know like I see for them an opportunity to expand off of this lore and they have like a new main character that they can use that's got a whole side thing like you know imagine playing Atreus and then like him you know you having to go through and like get all these giants back into the world you know and that kind of stuff like that's what I imagine happening or or maybe it's a little bit further down the road and he's like not so much a young adult anymore, but like a young man, you know, in his mid twenties or something like that. So I'm kind of hoping for that. Um, Kratos is a fucking cool character and stuff, but you know, um, it might be kind of cool for them to like kind of pass the torch on, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, they've, 
what, one of the things I think is really cool is that they did not decide to make this a trilogy. They're just like, we can do this, even though this game is going to be huge, we can, we can tell this story in one game. And I, I think that's just so cool rather than just milking it that, you know, this is a big AAA studio. And I think that's a, a pretty cool decision they made to basically they've, they've said we are done with this whole uh, Norse storyline. Um, for me, what I would hope to see is I, I want to see Godfather two. I want to see them um, flashback with Kratos to the time when uh, his wife kind of transforms him. Like what, what happened between him destroying that world and him being like the introspective, how did they meet? Like, um, I think they could pull it off. I mean, for, for what they did. And I guess it kind of led me like thinking of this as like, where do they go as characters from here? I think it's going to be really tough. Like they tackled so much emotional character building. Like, can they really go any further at this point? I, at least for these two characters, I, I don't think so. Not to the same extent, at least. So I think going back with Kratos, like throughout the game and like having him meet this wife who changed his life. And then Dave, to your idea, having the the forefront of the game be Atreus trying to sa- save the giants and how those two stories would in- would interweave because Faye is, you know, a giant. I think they could do some really cool, like narrative stuff with that. Um, that would be my wish list. Uh, yeah. It'd be interesting. Um, I think the tier thing is going to play into it a lot. I think Sindri is going to play into it a lot. And um, a lot of it has to depend like what their intentions are with the Kratos character moving forward, because there's two potential drop or jumping points there too, where do you transfer it to Atreus and have that become the protagonist moving forward? Or do you do what most studios would probably do under these circumstances and do the cash grab and you make a DLC focused on Atreus and you focus a hundred percent on what he's doing with the giants and then build mm-hmm. up to your next universe with Kratos at kind of the helm, you know, because that would be a real easy way to get a game out in the next couple of years that just utilizes the same engine and use utilize the same universe and could actually expand quite a bit onto that character and test out if he's a character that could eventually replace Kratos or if you're just going to have to keep finding a way to keep Kratos somehow involved as the protagonist of this series. Um, there's also, you know, that looming, like I said, tier, tier could be a lot of things. Tier is the God of war. Um, you know, he's, he's a goofy, tall giant character, but you know, it's wouldn't be the first time that a series has changed the protagonist into somebody else. Um, most notably one of the ones I think of is the legacy of Kane when they, uh, made the transition from Kane being the main character, the bad guy, and the new protagonist being kind of just this weird kind of, you know, ninja character more or less, but, but it was kind of like a way to like rebrand the whole series and try out new things. So, so there, there is potential. I don't know if they'd be willing to do it uh, with, you know, so much success built around this particular way, but that's kind of what I like when all's up in the air and they could, you know, we'll see what they do. And that's what makes you have to tune in to see <laughs> because, you know, I'm dying to know what comes next. There's very few games I, I've complete and that's what I, my feeling most of the time it's how quickly can I move on to the next one. But, but with this, I am in that hangover stage of, of just wondering endlessly, like what's going to happen next. Do you guys 
feel comfortable giving this a rating? Um, you know, it's, I, I'm on the fence only because I haven't really thought about how I rate things. Like I, I, to me, this is, I mean, what scale do we want to use boys? Let's establish that and go from there. I think it's your own scale. It's like, how, you know, I mean, how do you feel about the game? Uh, I mean, okay. So I guess from my perspective, there, there is a lot of things that could have made this game better, but when I compare it to what else is out there and the enjoyment I had from the game for me, it's a 10. Yeah. Now, could I have gone for this game being like 10 hours shorter? Um, I think that might've made it better if they had managed to pull it off, but I, I don't know for me, I just, this game is the absolute pinnacle of, of what this genre can be, at least up until now. I'm fine with that. If we do in 10 as a scale, it's a 10 for me. I mean, it's, I agree with you completely that there's areas I think they could have shaved off. I don't think that every moment hit with as much depth as they had hoped, but I'm not going to crit- criticize that enough to remove a point. <laughs> um, this is a game that. You, <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, it's, it's a 10. It's superior to any of the other similar kind of games. I mean, this is better than Horizon Zero Dawn for me. It's better than Days Gone. Um, you know, it's in the conversation with Last of Us 2, um, you know. So. Um, I, don't know. I give it like a 9.6. I think uh, it's definitely hey, hey, better. Hey, hey, hey. hey, hey. It's, def- oh, it's, I just, def- it's funny, like, Matt's like, well, what is our criteria? <laughs> Six three. <laughs> <laughs> um, for for me, I feel like it's definitely better than the first game. Um, so like that automatically kind of puts it up into like a tier of entertainment that's kind of rare for me to experience. Where the sequel is actually like going to improve like the whole situation. But <clears throat> like I just some of the puzzle stuff, man. I spent too much time on. You know, it felt like too tedious to get some stupid chest with something stupid in it, you know, like those, Agreed. you know, and like, there's just some moments, you know, like, uh, I appreciated that, you know, there's a difference in the enemies that you were fighting. You know, I appreciated that they kind of introduced some new stuff, but yeah, overall, I'd say like, I think the tent pole for this whole game is like the story and the acting, you know, in it. So not so much like the fight scene stuff. The fight, it's okay, but you know, there's games that are better at combat. Period. You know than this game. You know, so um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly stand behind a nine six. It's not, you know, but I mean, I don't know what a full ten is going to be for me. You know, it's, I don't know if I really experienced that yet. So, uh, Matt, do you have a preference between this game and the and the first, or is it just? They just kind of stand alone. No, uh, this game, I think the biggest uh, biggest compliment I can give this game is they took everything that needed improvement in the first game and they improved it. You yeah. know, did they make it a bit too long? Sure, but yeah, that, that's that's the one thing that the first game does better is, is yeah. it's a more it's a more efficient, streamlined story. Yeah, uh, whereas this is a big bloated, um, yeah. And, and even the bloat, like, I can't knock it because there are certain people that, that they need that. 
to justify a triple a experience so you know um it, it was a directional choice that i don't agree with but you know it's not enough that i'm going to hold it against them because like i said i've slogged through much much longer games that were way stupider and mm-hmm. enjoyed them very much so yeah um well shit is that it gentlemen yeah i think man. so great, great game matt like to i think we would have played it anyways but yeah. you know to <laughs> you know to know that i was guaranteed gonna play it like i it I, don't know, I feel like it takes a lot for me to get excited about a video game I'm about to play. And this was definitely one where I was, I mean, I sprinted for the bus to get home fast enough to start this game. So nice. that's what I guess. Yeah, definitely I, add something having uh, you guys to like, you know, play, play it with and kind of be able to bounce off the, you know, more entertaining stuff and, and your thoughts. It adds something like I, we, we played a lot of games together this year and, and, you know, we'll talk more about that on our next pod when we get into our game of the year stuff, but um, it, it's definitely brought like a different level of, of um, enjoyment for some of these titles. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, there's been numerous titles in my opinions on them have shifted as a result of being able to catch up with you guys and touch base kind of on my own thoughts on it, but also see your reactions as well. Um, because, you know, that is part of the fun is <laughs> reviewing your experience and then learning more about it through others as well. So uh, really enjoyed this one. Next year, I guarantee I'm pulling something off my shit bucket list to get you guys back, though. <laughs> so um, but yeah, no, this this is a good one. This can be an interesting conversation next time we get together for our uh, best of 2022, um, because this game has to be in conversation beyond very high up on that list so my favorite pot of the year can't wait for uh next time we uh get together for that my well, mine's not so clear cut <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> dave, with the, dave with the murderer's row of titles <laughs> to sort through like who am i gonna insult someone's gonna get insulted <laughs> like, someone's gonna be like what are you talking about but you know amongst our double digit listeners so <laughs> all right well thank you so much for listening it's been couch co-op a video game po- podcast take care ciao